Do you, Christian, need peace? And do you want prosperity? Solomon led Israel to peace and prosperity. It is what God wanted for his people. And I believe God wants this for his people today. And I believe that Solomon can lead the Israel of God to peace and prosperity. 1 Kings 4 shows us how God prospers his church. And before you begin dreaming of fast cars and big houses, I want to state from the very beginning that Christian prosperity is not of this world. It's better. It's better. Christian prosperity, that's the title of my sermon this morning. Christian prosperity. It's what's being preached in most of the churches around the world today. But mine's going to be, my Christian prosperity is going to be a little different here this morning. Christian prosperity begins in 1 Kings 4, begins with unity. Christian prosperity begins with unity. We read in chapter 4, verse 1, that King Solomon was king over all Israel. He's king over all Israel. Solomon ruled over all Israel just like David. Just like David. Unlike his father, however, he gave peace and prosperity to all Israel. All Israel, both Judah, we read in verse 20, Judah and Israel, both the northern and the southern tribes were all united under Solomon without division, without dissension. David ruled over all Israel, but there was dissension in the ranks. But that is no more. Now there is peace. There is unity in Israel. Israel and Judah united around King Solomon as one people of God. How did he achieve this unity? How he achieved this unity is the first answer to Christian prosperity. He brought the people together. He brought the people together. Verse 2 says, and these were his high officials. He brought the people together, and what follows from verses 2 that I didn't read through verses 19 is a long list of officials. I'm not going to read through these names. There's some difficult names. I don't want to get tongue-tied and stumble all over these Hebrew names. I'll leave the list there for you parents to pursue for your next child's name. We have enough Isaiahs and David in this church. It's time we get some Ba'anas and some Paruas and so forth. Okay? <laughs> so go through the list and you'll find some great names. Ben Adabanab and guarantee on the playground there won't be another. What the list tells us is that Solomon ruled well. He ruled well. He put all of these leaders and all of these officials in place. He ordered God's people. That's what the wisdom of the Lord gave him. It gave Solomon wisdom to order. Because God's people need proper order. We need proper order to be one. This is certainly true in the New Covenant. If you have your Bibles, keep your finger in 1 Kings, but let's jump over to the New Covenant in the New Testament and 
Acts 16. That's where we're going. Acts 16, the Jerusalem Council. Acts 16, verses 4 through 5. Your Bibles, turn with me. Acts 16, 4 through 5. I'll give you a moment to turn there. This is the Jerusalem Council text. Actually, Acts 15 is the Jerusalem Council. Here in Acts 16, we find the results of the Jerusalem Council. We read in verses 4 and 5, as they went on their way, these are the missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, as they, as they were sent by the Jerusalem council, mind you, the council sent them, as they went on their way through the cities, going out through all the cities, they delivered to them, that is, they delivered to the churches in those cities for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. The Jerusalem delegates strengthened and increased the churches. The word decision in, in, in the Greek is the Greek word that you know, dogma. It's dogmatos. It's the Greek word dogma. Now, the word, that's the word decisions. Now, the word reached, the verb reached means to judge. You see, the Jerusalem council judged, and they judged dogma. The decisions of Jerusalem were judged to be dogma, and the dogma of the church prospered the churches. Verse 5, so the churches, plural, were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, this all took order. It all took order. So the churches, if you remember what happens in the story, all the churches were troubled by heresy. There was heresy in the midst of the church, and so the churches called for the first synod in Christian history. They called for the first synod, the churches in Jerusalem, the churches in Samaria, which were many, many house churches in Jerusalem, many house churches in Samaria. They called for the churches in Antioch, house churches in Antioch, to send minister elder delegates to Jerusalem. And they called these men, they sent these men to the council, the council met and they judged and they presented dogma to the churches to observe. And the churches had to observe this dogma. It's all order. And an order made the church one. To be one, the church must visibly be one, right? Christ says be one. It should visibly be so. This takes order. The church growth strategies of the Bible are church order. Just as the nation of Israel needed proper order, so too the new covenant kingdom, which is a holy nation. We need the multitude. We need the wisdom of a multitude of counselors. We need the pillar and buttress of the truth, which is the church. So the church must stand together to judge, to study God's word, so that we don't, we don't want in the church many truths. We don't want many truths in the church. We want what? The truth. We want the truth. Now, Acts records the prosperity and peace of the church several times. As you, as you read through the book of Acts, it will say that the church increased and the church was strengthened. Interestingly enough, it's always in the context of God properly ordering his church. So when the church is ordered to preach, we hear that God increases the church. And the church was strengthened. 
When the church is ordered to do the sacraments, the church increases its faith and strengthened in number. When the church is called to ordain men to the ministry, the church is strengthened and increased in numbers. When the church is called to come together, to organize and to adopt and cooperate together, strength in numbers, wisdom and multitude of counsel, the church was strengthened and increased in numbers. You see, Christian prosperity is the church in the word together. And this means that the church is an institution. You cannot have unity without institutional order. And the church is an institution whether you like it or not. And you can say, well, I don't like it. I want church independence. I want ecclesiastical independence. Ecclesiastical independence only leads to Episcopal order. You will have an independent diocese. An independent diocese with a man leading the way. And you can say, no, we're congregational ruled. No matter how congregationally ruled you are, no matter how much the congregation thinks it rules, there will always be one guy pulling the strings. There will be someone rising to the top, leading the way. And guess what? You're independent. So he does it all by himself. So if the church together doesn't rise to the top, if the church together doesn't rise to the top, a vicar will. And you may not, he may not wear a, a funny pointed hat, but you will be metaphorically kissing his ring nonetheless. And Presbyterianism fixes that. Presbyterianism, Presbyterianism makes the church Acts 16. It makes the church ordered, well-regulated, and blessed. And proper order makes us one. And proper order protects the church and allows us the proper uh, prosper. Now, I know that Presbyterianism doesn't fit the doctrine of populism. And I know in America, that's the doctrine that leads the way in our country. We are a people uh, of the people. We are a nation of the people, by the people, for the people. But that doctrine of populism has fled and sinked into the church. And so the churches are churches of the people, by the people, for the people. But that doesn't fit God's word. Be a populist November 8th. Be a populist at the election ballot this November 8th. Be a churchman in the church. Be a churchman in the church and, and never confuse the two. Christian prosperity begins with a well-ordered church, and you can't do Christianity without the church. You can't do it well. You can't do it well without the church united, without the protection of a well-ordered, united, ancient church. You'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And when you're sinned against and nobody takes your side, there's no process that appeals to another body to adjudicate your case. And so there's no peace and purity in the church. You see, it takes a council of multitude. It takes a multitude of counselors to raise a Christian. Christian prosperity is Catholic. You need the holy Catholic church. And I'm not talking about Rome. Rome ain't Catholic enough. Rome is too Episcopalian. For Catholicity, you need a true Catholic united church, united around God's word. Now, verse 20 we read, because we have this order. Verse 20 says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Now, in chapter 3, Solomon asked for wisdom to order. He asked for wisdom to govern so many people. Lord, there's so many people, he says, 
And he asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. And now he orders the church, and they're fat and happy. They're fat and happy. They're blessed. They're united. Israel's prosperous. Israel's happy. And this is the kind of kingdom that you should expect when God blesses the king to rule wisely and well. When God blesses the king, you get peace and abundant provision. And when God rules through an obedient king, you get happy. They ate and drank and were happy. And when God rules, you expect his kingdom to extend throughout the earth. Verse 21 says Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms. He didn't just rule over Israel, it says. He, rules, he ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now there's something really important you need to see in these verses. And this is the second thing the church needs to be prosperous. We need proper order. And we need God's promises. Genesis 22:17. Listen to Genesis 22:17. This is the promise made to Abraham. God says to Abraham, "I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore." And your offspring shall possess the gates of her enemies. You see, Solomon's wise administration has fulfilled Abraham. He's fulfilled Abraham. That's why the narrator says, as many as the sand by the sea. They've taken the gates of their enemies. Saul's, Solomon's wise administration fulfilled the Abrahamic promise regarding God's people. You see, Abraham's all about a people. Abraham's all about a people. Judah and Israel all together. And the people were secure, and so was their place. They possessed the gates of their enemy. You see, Abraham's about a people, Abraham's about a place. And Solomon possessed the kingdoms of their most ancient enemies, the Egyptians, and their most belligerent enemies, the Philistines. And guess what? This is all fulfillment. Genesis 15, 18, the promise of Abraham once more. Genesis 15, 18, here now the promise of the Lord to Abraham. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, or it was Abram at the time. The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And now look at our text. The people of God united abundantly provide for possessing the land that the Lord promised. Solomon's wise administration fulfilled God's promises. He united God's people, and he gave God's people a place. And they were blessed. Solomon, it says, verse 22, Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal and 10 fat oxen and 20 pastor-fed cattle and 100 sheep. And they had some good hunters too, right? We all got our hunters out there hunting for deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fat and fowl. Did we get any uh, roebucks or fat and fowl this year? <laughs> so much food fled into the kingdom. So much food fled into the kingdom from the outside of the kingdom. Why? Abraham. Abraham is taking place. Verse 24 says, for he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from Tiphash 
to Gaza over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. The result of Solomon's dominion was peace. Peace and security, verse 25, and Judah and Israel lived in safety. They lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and every man under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Peace and prosperity. It's what God's people need. It's what we want, peace and prosperity. Everyone in Israel had their own place. They had their own fig tree. They had their own vine. They had their own property. Thus, they were prosperous. It was a golden age. It was a golden age. This is the age Micah paints of the kingdom in the last days. Micah says where swords are beaten into plowshares, where everyone sits under his own vine and fig tree, where the nations come to pilgrimage in Zion. It's taken place. The last days under Solomon's reign. Now, golden age theorists will do well to take note, especially the dispensationalist variety. Dispensationalism argues that there's a future, a future millennial golden age because David and Abraham were never fulfilled in Scripture. Guess they didn't read 1 Kings chapter 4. And because, according to dispensationalism, because the golden age was never met, Abraham was never fulfilled, David was never fulfilled, God has to rapture the church, the Christians out of the land. He has to take the church out of the world so that he can deal with the Jews. He has to deal with the Jews. He has to turn away from the, the Lord turns away from the new covenant. He resurrects the old covenant. And with the resurrection of the old covenant, he resurrects Pelagius. Pelagius is resurrected. Now the Jews can keep the law. They fulfill the law. They even rebuild the temple and their sacrifices. FYI, if your theology goes backwards, you're doing it wrong. FYI, if your theology has sacrifices when the one true sacrifice has been given, if your theology has sacrifices when Christ has been crucified, dead, and buried, you're doing it very wrong. You're doing it very wrong. Golden age. Here's a golden age. But there's something about this golden age that you have to see. This golden age wasn't quite so golden. Wasn't quite so golden. And golden age theorists do well to pay attention to this. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. It's almost just a parenthetical. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. This might seem innocent given all the prosperity. Horses served peace well as military might. But it's not innocent. And the narrator drops this seemingly subtle parenthetical in the text in a very curious place to grab your attention. You see, Solomon was good and wise, but he wasn't perfect. Deuteronomy 17.16 says, The king must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire horses. And here he has, what, many, many horses. They've turned to Egypt for horses. Solomon's horses reveal his disobedience to Torah. And this is not the last time that he fails God's law. If you look over just a few chapters to chapter 10, look at 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. 1 Kings 10, 26. 
And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities. He even builds chariot cities for all his horses. And then guess what happens in chapter 11? Just what? Three, two verses later, his apostasy. Now King Solomon, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. And then guess what he does with those many foreign women? Verse 5, for Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the, abom the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord as his father David. Golden age theorists do well to remember. There will never be a golden age when fallible men rule infallibly. Any person who takes the reins of a kingdom is a sinner, and that kingdom will be full of sin. When sinners take the kingdom, there is wars and rumors of more to come. You will face tribulation. That's biblical eschatology. You will face tribulation. Jesus also says you will be persecuted. Paul says even while being put to death, the church is more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So the golden age wasn't perfectly shiny. There were some moths and rust to destroy this kingdom. Look at verse 6. We, we jumped over the reading of all of these. But in verse 6 it says, Ashashar was in charge of the palace, and Adoram, the son of Abda, was in charge of the forced labor. Forced labor. Forced labor doesn't sound very pious, especially given the history of Israel and Samuel's prediction that a king would subjugate God's people. You will face tribulation as biblical eschatology. Christian prosperity doesn't mean you will not have trouble. Christian prosperity doesn't mean you will not be persecuted. Christian prosperity doesn't mean you'll face death. Christian prosperity doesn't mean the Lord takes away. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord either way. Christian prosperity doesn't mean you're going to be fat, wealthy, healthy, and rich, and whatever else they're selling out there. Christian prosperity means one greater than Solomon watches over you. You see, none could compare with Solomon, and that's the point of the story. God's hand was upon his throne, and that's the truth of Kings, 1 Kings 4. When God blesses Israel's king, God blesses Israel. With God's wisdom, promises made long ago to Abraham and David were fulfilled. They were as many as the sand by the sea. David was promised rest from all his enemies, and Solomon's people had peace, shalom. And while speaking of Yahweh's promises to David, Solomon will later call that shalom rest, because David was fulfilled. But Israel's peace, Israel's prosperity will not last. And that's because Abraham and David were only fulfilled pro tem. That is, Israel's kings were only substitute kings. Israel's kings were only stand-ins for the true king.
king of kings. Christ is the king who delivered Israel from Egypt. Christ is the king that assembled and made them his people at Sinai. And Christ is the king that led them to the promised land in Canaan. Christ is the true king because he was with God and is God. And there is no sin in him. He rules without failure. Christ is the true son of Abraham. He's the true son of David. So he sits on his throne today, today ruling with perfect wisdom. His peace is the sacrifice of his own body and soul as he was tormented by the terrors of hell to deliver you from the pains and anguish of hell. There is a hell, dear Christian. Christ went through it. And his prosperity is his obedience, which by faith we make our own. And so we stand before God, righteous and holy, as if we have never sinned or been a sinner, but as if, in fact, Christ was obedient for us. His righteousness and holiness is ours, received by faith. You see, Christ makes us the people of God's possession. By faith in Christ, you are God's. Christ, we have a place. We're not only a people, but a place. We have a better place that is a heavenly one, a greater country. And the kind of kingdom you get from Christ is a kingdom not of this world. And it is a kingdom that extends throughout this earth, every tongue, tribe, and nation. It is the kingdom of the last days where there's forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And it is a kingdom of the last days which is also a communion of saints. We call this kingdom the church. We call this kingdom the church. Christian prosperity is life in Christ and in his church. We are a visible people, baptized and visibly placed together where Christ rules his church through ministers and elders who are properly ordered with and for the gospel. So if you want, dear Christian, peace, and if you want prosperity, join a true church, And make sure she's ordered well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.